This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. It's a new year and, and the same series. We are still at the same uh, spot, working our way through Matthew 6. We'll, we'll be in this uh, still a little bit longer, uh, late, a little bit later into the spring. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new here, we're calling the series The Good Life uh, because it's Jesus' uh, description of life the way it's to be lived in his kingdom under his rule, the way God intended life to be lived, and the way that we can have a, live a, a meaningful life, uh, even in a fallen world. So today, we're, we're, we finished Matthew 5. We're starting Matthew 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 of Matthew 6, and uh, then we will uh, jump into uh, the text explaining it. Matthew 6, verse 1, hear God's word to us today. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. We're going to see as we begin into chapter 6 that it's really continuing, if you can think back to uh, 2018, it's really continuing the same theme Uh, that we were looking at in chapter 5. If you go back to chapter 520, verse 20, Jesus made this statement that set up the rest of chapter 5, but we're we're still on the same theme in many ways. Chapter 520, Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus calls his disciples to a different kind of righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the religious leaders of his day. And then he goes on to explain what does he mean by a greater righteousness. He explains it with six examples. We looked at every one of them uh, in detail. Aaron Paul taught, uh, did a great job last week on the sixth of those. But we looked at each of them. And what we saw was that Jesus was saying, he was contrasting uh, true righteousness with the religious leader's righteousness. And he was saying, look, God is concerned not merely with external behavior, but internal motivation. So it's not enough to avoid murder. That's good. That honors God. It's not enough to avoid murder. We want to avoid anger, which is at the heart of murder. It's not enough to avoid adultery and think you are living righteously. It is to avoid the sin of the heart, which leads to adultery, lust. It is to avoid the very heart lust as well. So he does this. He, he goes through and shows how it's not just external, it is internal. And that Jesus and in his kingdom, he calls people to behavior that reflects a changed heart, not just new external behavior. And so now in chapter 6, he's going to do the exact same thing 
but he's going to apply it not to retaliation and adultery and loving others. He's going to apply it to religious behavior, what we might call more traditional religious behavior, what we might call piety, personal piety, personal spiritual Christian, following him, Christian behavior. Verse 1, he calls it practicing your righteousness. Sinclair Ferguson translates it, acts of righteousness. So now he's going to address specifically uh, religious sort of spiritual practices. And in Jesus' day, there were three primary acts of personal piety. They were giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. These were the three primary spiritual acts of piety in his day. And he addresses each of these in verses 1 through 18 in chapter 6. And he addresses them much the same way as the other issues in chapter 5. He says it's not just the external practice, it is the internal motivation that matters. So in verse 1, and if you don't have a Bible, I failed to mention this, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one under the seat in front of you and turn to page 473, uh, and you'll be able to read along with us. In verse 1, This is the topic sentence for verses 1 through 18. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Then he says, this is how this plays out in giving to the poor, one uh, pious activity they were called to. Secondly, this is how it plays out in prayer. And thirdly, this is how it it plays out in your fasting. Um, Now, to understand what is going on here, what Jesus is addressing, we really have to look carefully at the words of verse 1. Notice that he doesn't say, don't practice righteousness. He doesn't say, don't be involved in religious behavior. Don't be involved in acts of piety. Don't, Don't have anything to do with that. He's not against giving money to the poor. He's not against prayer. He's not against fasting. Uh, he's not opposed to any of those. As a matter of fact, he assumes those. That's why in verse 2, it doesn't say if you give to the needy. It says when you give to the needy. Verse 5 does not say if you pray, but it says when you pray. Verse 16, this is a shocker, doesn't say if you fast. I thought that was in the optional category. It says, verse 16, when you fast. Prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor are not optional. And Jesus will not give in to the idea that some have in the church today that telling anybody to do anything like that, well, that's just legalism. It could be legalism, but it's not necessarily legalism. It's what people who live in the kingdom do. Jesus says, this is how you live in the kingdom, when you're giving to the poor, when you're praying, when you're fasting. So that's the first thing. These are assumptions. They reflect kingdom life. So he doesn't say don't practice righteousness. Now notice also he doesn't say, he does not say uh, don't practice your righteousness before others. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, make sure that uh, no one ever sees you give. We just had an offering and we didn't do it with every head bowed and every eye closed so that no one sees if if anyone gave. He doesn't say, make sure no one ever sees you pray. We, we had a day of fasting on Friday. This really fits, doesn't it? We had a day of fasting on Friday. We had a day of prayer on Saturday. 
And we didn't give a yesterday a prayer meeting. We didn't give a mask to everyone that came in so you can't see, a blindfold you can't see. Nobody pray out loud. We don't want anyone to practice their righteousness before anyone else. We, no. He doesn't say don't practice your righteousness in front of anyone. Never give, never pray, uh, never fast publicly. He doesn't say that. Rather, this is what he says. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order, that's the key, in order to be seen by them. He's, he's not warning them against dangerous practices. He's warning them against a dangerous motive. Why are you doing these things? Why are you doing them, he says. And he narrows it even further to this. For whom are you doing this? For whom are you giving? To whom are you giving? For whom are you giving? For whom are you praying? For whom are you fasting? Here's the point about giving to the poor that he's talking about here today. True disciples help the needy because God sees and rewards, not because people see and applaud. That's his point, that that a true disciple, a true kingdom person, a follower of Christ helps the needy because God sees and God rewards. That's what he says in this passage, not because people see and they applaud. He's given a warning here. Beware of this. Beware of practicing your righteousness in order to be seen. Because your father will not reward religious practices done to impress others. That's what he says in the verse. You will have no reward. If you do it to be seen, you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. If that's your motive. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase, he translates, or rather he paraphrases verse 1 this way. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. So I want to talk about three things in this section. I want to talk about the practice of giving to the poor. What's the practice he's talking about? What's the problem with the way it's being done? And what's the promise he offers? Once a year, I have an alliterative outline, but it's only once a decade I have an alliterative outline where each begins with a consonant blend, not just P, but PR, okay? I went, so, so I've just received my reward right now by acknowledging that and blowing the trumpet and telling you uh, if, this, if this sermon is, an, is a tenth as good as the outline, we'll all go home blessed. There you go. I just don't do sermons like this. Three points that all start with PR. But it came to me, and I said, no, this, this is going to be so powerful. So there you go. Here is, uh, I'm joking if you're new. Uh, here is the practice, the practice. He says, when you give to the needy. Okay, so giving to the needy was not only an act of devotion, it was a necessity in Jesus's day. In first century Palestine, where Jesus is speaking, many people lived in a subsistence sort of a way. And they, uh, there was no government uh, to provide help for those in need. So it's hard for us in, with a modern sort of Western mindset. Um, we live under, as all modern Western nations do, we live under a uh, I, I, I run through all modern, may, may take that back, all modern Western nations. Well, we, we live under a secular government. 
they lived under a theocracy. Well, actually, they lived under Rome at this time. But they governed themselves, all the people of Israel, uh, by God's word, by uh, the old covenant. So it's hard for us to get our mind around this because we pay taxes to a secular government that provides a safety net for those in need. So that in our country, the the goal or the idea is to have resources so that if anyone uh, needs food to survive or shelter or clothing to survive, certainly the basics, that there is a safety net there. Uh, to provide for them. If someone gets old and is unable to work, there's a, sa- a safety net there uh, to provide some means of help. But in Jesus' day, there was nothing like that. Life looked very different. So if you didn't have family that could help you, uh, the only way that you could survive uh, would be for the community, the, the faith community, the Israelites, to come around obeying God's law and provide for you. There was no safety net. And this was part of God's law for his people. In Deuteronomy 15, he said, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So they were commanded to open their hand to the poor, the needy around them, and care for them. And even farmers, it was an agricultural, uh, agrarian kind of society, most of the history of Israel. And so the, even there, there was, there was ways that were built into the way they even harvested their crops, that you were to leave some for the poor, that there was a, a safety net for the poor because people didn't take all of their, uh, all their crops uh, and make, take all their profit, but left it for those who were in need. So the Israelites were expected to give directly to help the poor. That was part of their community ethic. Now, we're called to give to the poor as well. We may live in a different day. We may live in a different context, but we are called to give to the poor as well. Uh, it may be that you and I don't have daily interaction. You may. But we may not have daily interaction with people that are on a subsistence life, that are living, income, that that have uh, virtually nothing to survive on. So it may not be that every day we encounter many people like that. Uh, So sometimes our giving to the poor might look different. It might be giving to an organization that cares for the poor, not that we personally exempt ourselves from interacting with individually poor people. But... The, the society we live in here in Frisco looks different than theirs did for sure. And so it may include giving to benevolence fund, or it may include giving to a nonprofit that serves the needs of the poor. It, it could look any number of ways. But the point I want to make is that as kingdom people, we too are called to care for the poor, to feed the hungry. It may, it may involve giving uh, to somewhere where we could never go, like to another part of the world where they don't have clean drinking water or food, and we can't go there. Uh, it's impossible for us to go and feed them, but we could give to someone who does. So there's a lot of ways to think about how to apply this today. I just want to make the point that it does apply. It does apply to us today. So that's the practice, giving to meet the needs of the poor. Here's the problem. The problem in a word is hypocrisy. Jesus is addressing in all three of these examples, uh, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. In all of them, he's addressing hypocrisy. Look at verse 2. 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, there is no um, historic record of people playing trumpets before giving money to the poor. So what's Jesus talking about? It could be a lost record, I suppose, but there's, there's no record of that. Um, some people have said, well, in the temple, uh, when you give, they had like offering containers or boxes, and the top of them uh, came out, they were metal, and they came out like, like a trumpet uh, or a horn, and uh, people dropped their, their coins or whatever in there. So maybe it has something to do with that. Some people have, have thought that. I don't think so. Because he's not talking about the temple. He's talking to people in Galilee, and he says to them, uh, the hypocrites, in the, verse 2, in the synagogues. And, uh, and, and even if that was the case, that wouldn't apply to the streets. So there probably doesn't seem to be a historical reality of people on the streets playing literal trumpets as someone gives. This is likely a metaphor, which makes it way more uh, applicable to each of us in our lives. It is, it is probably a metaphor. And what does a metaphor mean of sounding trumpets? Well, you sound trumpets to draw attention, to make an announcement. The sounding of the trumpets is a metaphor that depicts drawing attention to one's giving. Jesus is addressing the desire to have others recognize your giving, to have others recognize, to be aware of your generosity, to be aware of your help, and then to respect you as a generous person. That's what this is about. It's about don't be a hypocrite in seeking to uh, give in a way and help in a way and serve in a way those who are in need, that they might be aware of what you've done and that your motive might be that they would respect you, that you would have a reputation as a generous person. It's about drawing attention. So he says, people who do that are, what's the word he uses, verse 2, hypocrites. Hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrites is an interesting one. You may have heard this before if you've heard this passage taught. This is almost always pointed out. That the Greek word for hypocrite is the same word that was used uh, to describe an actor in the theater. And in those days, uh, actors in the theater wore masks. They, um, rather than wear makeup, they wore large masks that would uh, you know, reflect a facial expression that would uh, reflect their character. And they hid behind these masks um, to, to play their part. And, and so what he's saying here is Jesus is saying the one who gives so that they will be respected by others, so that they'll be recognized by others is, well, they're like a stage actor in a mask. They represent a character on the outside, but they're really somebody else on the inside. He's saying this kind of person is a spiritual pretender, a spiritual actor, a, 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 a hypocrite. This is what he's talking about. This is the problem. And it's a different type of hypocrisy. When, when we read the word hypocrisy, it, 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 the word hypocrite can be used in a number of different ways. And I think the way Jesus is using it is, is not the way we normally hear the word hypocrite. 
So one way we would normally hear the word hypocrite uh, would be a lot of unbelievers, a lot of uh, non-believers, a lot of people who are seeking and investing in the faith. You may be one of those here today. Uh, will say something like this. You know, I'm not that interested in Christianity because the church is full of hypocrites. To which our response should not be instant defense and blame shifting on the liberal media, may I say that. Our response should be, you know what, you're right. You are right. There are hypocrites in the church, and, and I'm ashamed to say there's hypocrisy in my own life. And that's why we need grace. That's why we need the forgiveness of God. But that's a, that's a true statement. It, when, when someone says that, what they mean is, you know, you don't, the people in the church aren't like the, what the Bible teaches, or more importantly, aren't like Jesus. Gandhi is famous, has famously said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's a stinging rebuke for us that we want to hear and embrace. We don't want to run to, well, Gandhi didn't know that. No, no, no. We want to say, yes, Lord, I can't speak globally, but I can speak about me. And this Christian is unlike unlike his Christ far too often. But that's not the kind of hypocrisy Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about people who claim faith but live differently, who look one way on Sunday and look different in their cubicle on Wednesday afternoon or with their family on Thursday night. A closer example of what he's talking about might be hypocrisy regarding spiritual practices. So, for instance, all the pastors, maybe I've said it the most because I've been teaching recently, but all the pastors have gotten up here at some point and charged us all to read the Bible in a year in 2019. And so what are we, I don't know, five days in, six days in? I hope it's going well. Um, And I have strongly advocated it. So it would be fair for you to presume that I'm doing it. Okay, because I've said, go read the Bible uh, in 2019. But what if you found out, as we go through 2019, that I'm not doing it? And what if you found out that, in fact, I only read the Bible like once a month. And on that day, I read the Bible, I read like one verse once a month. Easy, I'm not, that's not true. <laughs> People are like, oh no, I've got to find another church. No, that's not true. But what if, you, that, what, what if you found that out? Then what would you say? That guy's a hypocrite. He stood up there and talked about a Bible app. One, last Sunday, I was like talking about this Bible app to get on and watch these videos. And this guy talked about listening to the Bible. This guy said, your life's going to be changed. And he read the Bible. He's going to read the Bible 12 times in 2019. He's a hypocrite. And you'd be fair to say that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about people that say they do spiritual practices and don't. What Jesus is talking about is a much more common brand of hypocrisy. It's much more subtle and it's much more dangerous. Jesus is talking about people that do the right thing. Do you get that? Jesus is saying these people do the right thing. They're taking care of the poor. They are giving. They are maybe giving sacrificially. They look good. They look godly. They are doing what what is required to be done. The problem is they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. That's the hypocrisy he's talking about. It says in verse 2, that they may be praised by others. 
verse 1, in order to be seen by them. They are caring for poor people. People without food are getting a meal. People without lodging are being invited into the guest bedroom to stay so that people may see what I do and praise me. That's the problem. That's the kind of hypocrisy, wanting others to know what I do. And that kind of hypocrisy, I would say, hits home with everyone in the room. The Gandhi rebuke of hypocrisy hits all of us at times. The spiritual practice of hypocrisy hits all of us at times. The Bible example I gave you. But this example hits us every day. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And for whom am I doing it? When we give, when we help the poor, when we give to those in need, we are to do so without being conscious of what other people think. And we're to do it without being conscious of what we think. That's why he says here, do not let, uh, let's see, verse 3, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Not only is it that other people don't know, it's like I don't even know what I'm doing. I, I don't do it conscious of what other people think, but there's even a lack of self-focus in my own conscious. That's what he means. Don't let your right hand know what you're doing. I mean, that's, it doesn't mean, somebody said, I read that somebody said, I mean, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have laughed. That was bad. Okay. But I read that somebody said, it's like, so if you give somebody you know, like, if you give, it's not like this, but you give together. I, I don't know. It was something about using both your hands or I, I, I don't know what it was, but I was thinking, no, I don't think that's it. My right hand doesn't know what I, my left hand's doing. That's impossible unless I'm sleeping. If I'm awake, right hand doesn't know what my left hand's doing. That, that just means that I'm not aware. I'm not self-aware of what I am doing. I, he's saying, don't announce it to others, but don't announce it to yourself. Just freely give. <clears throat> just give as an act uh, that it's so, it's natural. When it comes to giving, don't be overly calculating. So my right hand's over here, my left hand's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's going on? Can you do that? Should we be doing that? When he brings out the sock puppet, it's serious. So, you know, should we be doing that? So is your left hand, no, what's going on? Looking at, no, that, that's like, well, that's strange. But that's like being overly conscious of myself. Overly aware. That's calculating. Just freely give. Don't, and, and then once you give, don't dwell on what you've done. The right hand talking to the left hand. This is what we did. Take your, what he's saying when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is. Take your eyes off yourself. Do it naturally. Do it freely. Do it privately. When it comes to helping others, self-consciousness can very easily lead to self-awareness. And this sort of self-consciousness, self-awareness, self-focus just slips easily into self-righteousness. What have I done? What have I contributed It's just easy to go there. Jesus is addressing the tendency in all of us to be more motivated by what people think than by what God thinks. That's the heart of the whole thing. He just happens here to apply it to three uh, practices, religious, uh, spiritual practices. But it's about, do I care what God thinks or do I care about what most other people think? It's one reason why I think the trumpet thing is metaphorical. Uh, because it really applies to all of us. I mean, most all of us have this self-awareness, or should I say this social awareness, not to announce our giving. 
Most of us have that much. Uh, we know how to play the game, as did the Pharisees. We know how to play the game. Most of us aren't going to sit down, hey, well, what's going on? Well, let's see, giving hundreds of dollars to someone who's in need over there, that's pretty much what I've been doing. I mean, when I'm not giving thousands, uh, you know, that's, so I don't know what, you, what you've been up to, you selfish pig. You know, n- n- most people aren't just going to announce what they give. Uh, and most people even are, we're even socially aware enough not to casually slip it in. You know, what are you doing this afternoon? Well, you know, I'm dropping groceries off for the Smith family. And then after that, most of us wouldn't even do that. We might, I might, but probably we're not just going to sort of casually slip that in. Usually where the motive of, are we doing this for others or for God? Usually where the motive is revealed, often we don't know, but usually it's revealed when our private giving, our secret giving is not recognized. See, if you're giving to be recognized, then it will sting when you're not recognized. That's where it usually shows up. These kind of things, that's where they show up in my life. So we give our money to help a person in need, and then we think, well, man, that, they weren't very grateful. They hardly said thank you. I mean, I don't even think, do they even know that I took a whole day off work to go help them in their need? Do they know that that money we had set aside for our vacation and we gave it to buy those ungrateful people food? Do they even know that? They didn't say thank you. Here's what we need to ask. Well, does God know? Because if he knows that's all that matters. That's what Jesus is saying here. Your father who sees in secret. Now, if God doesn't know, that's probably an issue, but God knows. That, that's where it shows up. They weren't very grateful. They didn't really acknowledge. Or they said thanks, but it was like they expected it. Yeah, thanks for the stuff. Like they expected it. What did they think? Well, why, why did I give it? Did I give to help them? Did I give to bless them? Or did I give to be recognized by them? Here's another one. Maybe it's not we're not thanked, but, thanked, but here's the, this is the worst heart revealer, when someone else is credited and we're not. So there's a family out of work in the community group. And the community group's all going to help this family. And so you take money that you really don't have lying around uh, to buy, you know, weeks worth of groceries for this family. Buy them, drop them off. And the next community group meeting, everybody's sitting talking. The family says, hey, can I just share something? I'd just like to thank the group. I'd just like to thank this group during our time of need. We've never had anything like this. Joe over here, starting school, he bought all our kids clothes for school and their school supplies. Smith family over here. Uh, we had a car repair. They paid for our car repair. Thank you so much. Jones family over here, they brought us groceries. And I just want to thank everybody. Uh, they didn't. I have an announcement. I'd like to share something with the group. We brought three weeks of groceries over, and it wasn't shared with the group. And I just wanted to share that. <laughs> so these three people were all recognized. And it looks like I didn't do 
Jack, it looks like I'm just, just a lazy member of the group, just riding along, freeloading. How do I feel about that? Well, does God know that I gave the groceries? Because that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that I have a reputation as a generous person in the group. It doesn't matter if I'm, uh, that somebody made a big deal about me and they were lavish in their gratitude. I'm not saying we shouldn't be thankful. But what I'm saying is that's not what matters. And that reveals the sort of inward grumbling, the complaining that we're not recognized, the jealousy when someone else is credited and we aren't. This is where it shows up. No, no one's going to come to community group and blow a trumpet and say, announcement, announcement, I gave this. Nobody's going to do that. But here's what's going to happen when I'm overlooked or when I feel like I am not given the proper gratitude that lifts my reputation among others, that I'm thought accurately. Hey, this isn't about being thought great about. This is just being accurate. That I gave that accurately. I'm not asking anybody thinks more of me than I, they should. I'm asking that they think of me accurately. Okay, then they should think of you as a hypocrite. The promise. Oh, by the way, one other thing to say about this. I was just thinking about this yesterday in the prayer meeting, which I've told you I was at now, okay? So... And that's not a sin, to tell you I'm at the prayer meeting. The next thing is a sin. So we're praying for, it was an outstanding time. So we're praying for uh, needs. So we're praying for the poor. We're praying for um, the unborn. We're praying for widows. We're praying for orphans. We're praying for immigrants. There may be in other categories, but that's what I remember. So we're praying for all those things. So when we pray for the poor, I'm praying with some people, and somebody starts praying for some stuff I wasn't even aware of that was kind of going on. I was aware of, but I wasn't thinking about that was going on in the church. And then I was just thinking about, this is a true statement, and I need to tell you this to give you the illustration. Probably in the life of our church, we have more ability now to help people in need and some more things in place, including a deacon of mercy and a deacon of orphan care um, and connections with the city that we haven't had before, uh, and a more diverse people coming in with various needs in the life of the church. So we have more opportunities to meet needs for needy people than we ever have in the life of the church. That's just a truth. Praise God that he's allowed our church to do not heroic things or amazing things, but some things, okay? So I'm aware that there's more going on. This person's praying about it. I'm going, yeah, that, that is something that's happening in our church. Yeah, the church is doing that, is doing that. And there can be a sort of temptation uh, that can be very, that be very challenging. We talk about what are we doing corporately as a church, and it can go very quickly from information to look at what we're doing. Now, this person praying wasn't doing that at all. This is me. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we are doing that. Yeah, I need to tell the church about that. People need to know that's going on. But why do they need to know that's going on? We need to know things that are going on information-wise. There's information this morning. We're helping at Zoe's place, helping uh, people that have uh, aged out of foster care and need help. We, we have to make that announcement. We can't say, well, we're not letting anybody know uh, because we just don't want to get puffed up. No, we got to announce that. That's what we're doing. So information is good. There's a time to praise God. Praise God. At Zoe's place, I don't remember the number, X amount of backpacks were purchased. Praise God. That's good. The line is, are we talking about information and praising God or promoting ourselves as a church? That's, that's a challenge for me to think, okay, and what's the motive behind sharing this information with everybody? Is it so the new person goes, wow, that church is really involved in the community? Is it so that the guest goes, wow, they, are, they really are trying to do things to help. I respect that. I like that. I want to be a part of that. It, it, are we trying to impress people? 
This is a real challenge in ministries. Is this marketing? Is this PR? Man, marketing and PR, we want you to know. Why do we want you to know? So that you can participate? Yes. So that God can get glory? Yes. So the name Grace Church has a better reputation? Well, no. We need to announce that so new people know, yeah, yeah, this is the church. No. And we all have to be careful about the way we talk about our church. Pride for our church is a danger. We boast in Christ, and we are thankful for what he's doing in our church. But it's Jesus who's at work. We thank people. We want to be grateful for people. But we don't promote our name and our programs and what we're doing. And I just yesterday was just thinking about, yeah, we're doing this. We're doing that. We should tell people about that. Well, we should inform people and call them to participate and glorify God is what we should do. Here's the promise. Jesus offers no promise to the hypocrite. Verse 1, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven if you're doing it to be seen by others. If you give, if you serve, if you help the needy in order to be praised by others, then that is your reward. You got it right now. You got your ego stroke. That was your reward. The reality is, if you, live for the, if you live for praise, you will die when criticism comes. If you live for praise, you will die when the criticism... And it, it turns fast. People are fickle, man, and it turns fast. Christian service given to win the respect of others, it won't last into eternity, and it might not last till next week. That's the way it works. But look at what Jesus reserves for those who give to the needy with the right motive. Verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father will reward you. So it is okay to serve uh, with a reward in view. That's a frequently used biblical motivator. A matter of, matter of fact, Jesus was motivated that way. Hebrews 12 says, um, or let me actually, uh, let me quote first, then I'll get to give you Hebrews 12. Jonathan Pennington in his book on the Sermon on the Mount writes, all humans are motivated by the promise of future reward. Even Jesus, so future reward, even Jesus who, quote, Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus endured the cross looking to what would be the reward in front of him. People won by his sacrifice and reconciled with the Father. In fact, the word reward is used 10 times in verses 1 through 21 in the passage that we are in. It's used three times in the verses we just read. Reward, reward, reward. So what is the promised reward? Well, he doesn't say. He doesn't say. But I think there's a few clues. Um, John Stott writes of the reward this. I think this is helpful. He says it's neither public nor necessarily future. It is probably the only reward which genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy. Namely, to see the need relieved. When though his gifts, when through his gifts, the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, the sick are healed, the oppressed are freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love brings with it its own secret joys 
and desires no other reward. Now, there's a selfish way to give because I feel good about me. That, that's, that's not right. But, but there's a good way to say, you know, there is joy. Jesus says this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when we give and help, there is a joy that the Lord has provided for us, that we had the resources to give, that someone else was blessed. That is a secret joy that is unlike any other joy. For the joy set before him, Jesus gave his life, the Bible says. So there is a joy that comes from that. Perhaps the greatest reward of all is God himself. Now, one way to understand Scripture and to understand the themes of Scripture is to look at repeated words. It's not foolproof. It doesn't mean just because a word's used a bunch of times that uh, that's the theme of the passage. But it, it's, a, it's a key, a an indicator. And in this passage, I just told you that the, the word reward is used 12 times in verses 1 through 21. In the same set of verses, the word father is used 10 times as well. Jesus is wanting us to be aware of the Father. And when we know God as our Father, matter of fact, next week we'll see that's how he introduces prayer. Our Father in heaven. That is prayer is about communing. If it's anything, it's about engaging with the Father. And so in this passage, the reality is when we know God as our Father, we won't practice righteousness to somehow win his approval. We're already approved and loved by him. We'll do it because we have his approval and we will receive the satisfaction of communing with him, of glorifying him, of being about his purposes. What greater joy could there be than my life is counting because I'm giving myself to the stuff God created me for. I'm giving myself to the stuff the Father, the works he has prepared for me in advance. I'm giving myself to the Father's business. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I'm, I'm empowered by the Spirit and communing with the Spirit and, and, and for the sake of the gospel to please the Father and commune with him about his business. Jesus says, I'm about my Father's business. What greater joy is there than that? What greater reward is there than that? And I forfeit that reward when it's all about what people think about me because I can't at the same time be going, do you respect me? Do you think better of me? Do you know I'm generous? At the same time say, isn't God glorious? Isn't the Father loving? Isn't Jesus my treasure? I think in part the reward is God himself, the Father, his purpose, being a part of his kingdom. What a noble calling and distinction to be a part of kingdom activity. That is the, the, the highlight of what's happening on the planet. My reputation and what others think about me is not the pinnacle of creation. God is. And that's what's going on here. We're going to look at this next week more when we get to prayer. And he talks about Father. He uses it again next week when we see. I can't get ahead. But when, we, when, you, well, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. Your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, our Father in heaven. This is all about Jesus saying, you have a relationship with the Father when you're part of the kingdom. That's why Sinclair Ferguson, we, we have his book out at the Resource Center. I mention it regularly because it's helpful. This is what he says about th this section. He says, throughout this section of the sermon, our Lord hints that the real trouble with the heart of the hypocrite is that he does not know God as his heavenly father. He is insecure before God and therefore seeks security in what his fellow man thinks of him. 
The reason he reserved his strongest condemnations for Pharisees was because they distorted the character of the father. They turned the father into a tyrant, a slave driver, who did nothing but place restrictive burdens on his people. They did not know God as father at all. And they hated the thought that he should show mercy to sinners who had broken his law. When I'm rooted in my relationship with God, when I'm rooted in the Father's calling on my life, communion with the Spirit, the mission of Christ, when we're rooted in that, that changes our perspective. And we want to give for his glory and also because the joy is found in that person's need being met. We want to see people whole and cared for and loved. We want to share the Father's love with them. May they know Christ's love through our caring for them. But if I'm insecure in my relationship with the Father and I'm winning his approval, one of the ways I feel that I have that is if I get your approval. I feel better about me if you approve of me. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is. You're, you're, just forget about you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just freely give, expressing the love of the Father. Your Father who sees that in secret, he'll reward you. There may be an eternal reward tied to this. I don't know. But, 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 but even there, it'll ultimately be the reward of God himself. God's not going to give you anything greater than him. So it's, that, it's the satisfaction and the joy that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's being a part of the God's plan. It's knowing the Father and experiencing uh, what we would never experience if we took credit ourselves. That's the answer to the problem. It's to look to the Father. It's to draw our identity from him. It's to say I'm his child about his business. And here's the truth. He loves me whether I give or not. He loves me whether I give or not. But I have the opportunity to bring bring glory to him. I have an opportunity to bring attraction, attraction to him. I have an opportunity to do what he created me for. That's the goal of my life. He provides all that I have, and he calls me to give it to serve others. And when I do, he sees. And when I do, in private, he rewards. And that's all we need. I mean, that's it, right? If he sees and he rewards, what else is there? You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.